Dr. Ansel Keys, the director of the Lab for Physiological Hygiene in the 1940s, wrote in a journal, a little pamphlet in 1946. Can you imagine what's going on in the, in the 40s, by the way? Historically speaking, can you imagine what was going on in the 1940s? So Dr. Ansel Keys and a team of scientists did some experiments and did some studies, and he wrote, he wrote this interesting quote. He says, the person who has been starved for long is a special kind of person. The starved person fits a characteristic picture anywhere. He wrote this in a pamphlet called Men and Hunger, which eventually they would write a 1,300-page, two-volume book uh, on their case studies that I'm about to share with you in just a moment. 1940s. Question for you as we get going this morning is, is are you empty or starved today? 1940s, you remember, it was the World War II. 1945 specifically, there was a famine going on in Europe, and so some American scientists decided to get together, and they were going to uh, run some experiments. They thought, well, there's a surplus of food in America, so we can see what it would be like to, to be starved and to be hungry, and, and maybe we can send some aid over there once we realize exactly what they need. Because Europe had, they had root cellar vegetables. They had... They had, uh, of course, potatoes. They had macaroni. Uh, they had some of these items, but they, they didn't have any meat. They had a huge shortage on meat there in Europe. In fact, in Paris, I read an article in Life magazine, uh, also from 1945, that, that they sold in Paris, they sold, black, they sold uh, cats on the black market for six bucks. Like for, in order for you to get something to eat, some protein in, in, your, in your diet, they would, you could buy a cat, and, and it's just gross, because I like cats. We had, a, we had several conversations. I had several conversations with students this last week. We'd be going, uh, my group, we went from house to house, and we did uh, some, some door-to-door evangelism and some praying for, student, uh, for, for families and, and folks at their homes. And So while I was talking with a student, while some other students were up there praying, one of the easiest questions to ask is like, do you have any pets? I'm like, yeah, sure, I got a dog or I got a cat or whatever. And they're like, do you love dogs? I'm like, no, I love cats. So when I saw that statistic that they would, that they would sell cats on the black market, I'm like, that's just a little gross. We eat more meat now than we ever did. 1945, uh, the USDA uh, statistics show us uh, that we ate we ate about 184 uh, pounds of meat and poultry per year, um, or, or, or per person per year. Now, 2013, another statistic came out that said that we eat about 70 pounds more than that, than what we used to eat. And the majority of it's poultry, but like we have all this food now, but back then we didn't. Back then, we didn't, we didn't eat as much. We did eat, but we didn't eat as much. I tell you that, Because we today in America have no clue what it's like to be starving. We have no clue what it's like to be hungry. Or do we? And so going back to to these folks, um, these scientists, 
they enlisted, it was in Minnesota, you can look it up, they, had a, they enlisted a few dozen men uh, that were willing civilians that would come and do some of these testings. They would have them eat for about a month or so, about 3,300 calories split over three meals. And then after, after that amount of time, after about a month and a half, they cut them down to two meals a day, 1,600 calories, so they cut their, their diet in half, just about, and they only had two meals a day. And after a while, those men, all they could ever think about was food. In fact, there's a quote from Life magazine. It says, the single consuming thought uppermost in their minds, day and night, is food. It reminds me, you remember Looney Tunes? Uh, Looney Tunes, Sylvester the cat and then Tweety Bird, they would always run after each other and try to do mean things to each other. Well, Sylvester, like sometimes... I always laughed whenever he'd be so hungry, he'd look at Tweety Bird, and he wouldn't see Tweety Bird. Do you remember that? And he would, instead of seeing Tweety Bird, he would see like a, a drumstick, or he would see like this, this, this plate of food, or he would see, I'm like, that's what these guys were thinking about. Like for fun, these men, because food was always on their mind, and they were always hungry and always starving, what was on their mind was, was food. And so like they would read cookbooks. And I don't know how many of you out there read cookbooks every day, like for fun, but these guys, that's what they would do for fun. It wasn't like the latest Louis L'Amour, like they would look for, they would look for cookbooks and they just wanted to see what was going on. I want to finish this study just for a moment before we dive into some scripture. It says, quote, throughout the six months of starvation, this group of American men, accustomed to the variety of food that America provides appreciated and enjoyed a monotonous menu of potatoes, turnips, rutabagas, dark bread, and macaroni. Hunger, hunger, hunger. They wondered whether this horrible nightmare would ever end. Some of you this morning are starving, aren't you? And you're empty. And you're wondering if like, this hunger inside of you is ever going to end. You wonder if this problem that you're facing is ever going to end, don't you? Like, we don't know what it's like to be physically starving. I mean, we might say that we do, but we really don't. But you are probably out there and you're like, hey, I know what it is to be spiritually starving. I know what it's like to be spiritually hungry. Like, there's something that's missing. There's something that's not right. And so you ask these questions in your mind and you beg these questions from God. And you're like, God, when will this end? You've been there, haven't you? Or when is my help going to come? When is that phone call going to happen? And we ask God and we beg God and we want these things to happen. When will I get my answer? Some of you recently have been asking, maybe this morning are asking, like, when will I get back on my feet? And maybe you're in here this morning and you're thinking, when will my spirit feel alive again? Because my, my spirit hasn't felt alive in maybe years. And right now, there's some weird, unexplainable, gnawing feeling inside of you that's making you uncomfortable even talking about this because immediately you saw the correlation between men who were starving and you yourself who spiritually or emotionally or mentally starving. And you're like, there's something that's not right within me and I need this help and I need something to happen. I need it to happen quick. So here you are, you're, look, you're here at church. You're looking for Jesus looking for answers, desperately wanting a solution or a salvation to your starvation, right? We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, uh, briefly for the, for the next 15 minutes or so. And in John chapter 6, we find possibly the strangest, 
words I've ever seen in the Bible. Like these literally, there are some words in here and you can underline them because they, they are the weirdest words you'll ever see. And when you talk to your friends and your co-workers, like you can let them know, well, you know, we believe stranger things than that. We're going to get to those in just a moment, but Jesus is, the story that's happening here, the account that's going on is, is Jesus had just fed five to 10,000 people Scripture says 5,000 men, but there was obviously women and children there. And if it's a fish fry, then there's a whole bunch of Southern Baptists there. And it was a good time. But there was a whole bunch of people there. And Jesus just fed them all because they were hungry and starving and fed them fish and bread. And so they were following after him. And those people are just like you. And they're just like me. Because they were out in the crowd looking for Jesus, searching for answers, wanting some salvation for their starvation. They wanted something to help them out. And in the same way that we're in this room this morning looking for Jesus to help us out with something. In these words this morning, we'll find life. We'll find our answers. There's a, we're reading a lot this morning. So it's John chapter 6 starting in verse 22. And we're going to go through verse 59. Starting in verse 22, it says, The next day after, after this had happened, and after Jesus had walked on water, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew there had been only one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. They had been watching for Jesus. They had been looking for Jesus. They'd been, they had their eye on what he was doing They were the kind of people that drove by the church to see if the pastor's car was there. Just kidding. But anyway, they were watching Jesus. And they noticed that he didn't get on the boat. Verse 23, some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So Jesus isn't over here. We're looking for Jesus. So we're going to go over here and maybe Jesus is going to be over here. And that's the story that's going on right now. The people that had been fed, the people whose, whose answers had come once, they were looking for Jesus again there. And what didn't happen, they went here and then they went here because they were looking for Jesus. But in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Two important words I want to look at in verse 25 here for a moment. The word found, when they found him, they were looking for him, they were searching for him. The first idea, in in fact, if there's just one thing that you get this morning, if there's just one idea that you can remember the rest of this morning, probably the rest of your life, it's this. The search for Jesus satisfies the empty and starved. If you're here this morning and you're like, hey, I I need Jesus or I need answers or there's something empty in my life. I just can't have it. I can't find it. I can't. Where is it? The search for Jesus satisfies those of us that are empty and those of us that are starved. Well, James, I'm socially starved right now. Jesus has those answers. Jesus, like... James, I feel like if, if I were to die today, like I might not go to heaven. Jesus has your answer for that. I, I don't feel peace within my soul. There's something wrong. There's something like a barrier or something. There's a mask. Jesus, searching for Jesus, satisfies those of us that are empty and those of us that are starved. Interestingly, the next word that I want us to look at is the word rabbi. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi. Now, if you look just a few verses earlier in Scripture, in verse 15, John chapter 6, verse 15, they called, they, they'd wanted him to be king. They tried to take Jesus by force and, and make him king over their land, king of their kingdom, king of their lives. They wanted him to rule in such a way that he ruled, well, you can't do that. Well, you can't do that. Well, that guy's wrong. Here's the laws. Here's the rules. You can and can't and can and can't and can and can't. They wanted that. They saw Jesus as ruler of the world. But here in verse 25, just 10 verses later, they now call him rabbi. Because now instead of seeing him as ruler of the world in a, in a, in a legalistic or legislative sense, now they see Jesus as the ruler of life. Let's get through a few more verses here, starting in verse 26. So Jesus answered their question. He says, I assure to you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So naturally they would ask, well, what can we do to perform the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you, what? That you believe in the one he sent. It all, it, the search, searching for Jesus satisfies those that are empty and starved because it's believing and trusting in the one that God sent. And so, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said that's all you got to do. All you've got to do is believe. All you have to do is trust. All you have to do is not like a, oh, Jesus existed, but Jesus is the Lord of my life. That's all you have to do. Well, what sign are you going to do that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. We're hungry. This is what we want. We're searching. This is what we want. We're starving. This is our physical need. This is what we want. Jesus went deeper, he says. I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is the one. It is a person, one specific person given to the world. Like these people are apparently dense. Because in verse 34 they are demanding, they're saying, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you this bread always. And even to the end of the age, you, you just don't get it yet because you're looking for bread you're looking for crackers, you're looking for loaves, and I'm going to give you something that's going to satisfy you forever. But that's us, isn't it? Like, we're always searching for answers. God, give me a sign. Give me, give me an answer. Like, this is what I want. Like, when I was growing up, I wanted signs. Like, it's, it, I don't know if, if, if you're the type of person out there that you, you pray and you're like, oh, God, please give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. But I used to do that when I was a teenager, like, I would ask God, I would say, God, would you please give me a sign? Like a neon sign that I'm supposed to ask this girl out. Needless to say, I didn't get a girlfriend until I was a junior in high school. Because, like, I never saw the neon signs. I'm like, God, please give me the neon sign. Consequently, y'all go to the mall. Because if you don't go to the mall, if you haven't been to the mall in about 10 years, then you, you're not going to get this next sign that I was asking for. Some of us ask God for signs of where we should work. Like we need to follow the Lord in what job he has for us. And like sometimes we, 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 we work and we don't even ask God if this is what we're supposed to be doing. So I ask God, I'm like, God, please give me a neon sign. And 
And I must have read the sign wrong because I ended up working at Spencer Gifts for about two and a half years. Pretty sure the sign said open and that's where I went. And that was, if you know anything about Spencer Gifts, it's a deplorable store. Don't go there. Anyway, recently, last week, I was reflecting. Corey mentioned it earlier as we were praying for the students. We went to, we went to, Pens- uh, we went to Panama City Beach and one night... I was the old fuddy-duddy, I was the mean guy, and I made everyone get in bed by midnight. And after everyone was finally in bed, they came out of the rooms, and I got them back in bed, and they came out of the rooms, I got them back in bed, and I said, don't do it again, or I will be mean. I, uh, I went to the beach, it was about midnight, and I went to the beach, and I started taking a little walk along the shore just to kind of, just kind of reflect on all that God had done because honestly this by far for a week away there were students searching for God they were searching for answers and they found it like Corey had said as he mentioned earlier in our prayer they found it through through kind of relinquishing some of the stuff that they've been holding on to and opening up because like if you've got students or teenagers or, or if you've had them they've kept things from you they haven't let mom or dad in on things or grandma grandpa because they're like I'm scared of it and like what if people think differently about me and it was so freeing for them this week but as I was on the shore I'm, I was asking God for a sign I'm like God I I there was some, there's, there's like a, this big thing that just weighing on me. I'm like, God, I just need, I need your direction. I need your help. I need, I need your love and grace in this. I said, and I want it Friday. Of course, it was already Friday, but I'm like, God, I want it Friday. And he didn't give me any, he didn't give me a sign Friday. He didn't give me a sign Saturday. Sometimes we ask God for signs just like these Jewish people were doing. They said, well, what kind of sign will you give us? Ironically enough, I uh, also wanted to get like a shell for, for my family. They went to a different beach that week, the end of the week. And, but I'm like, I want to get a shell. And so I was going to get a, um, a scallop shell. And like I found like a small itty bitty one. Like I wanted to get a whole shell and I found a small one. And I'm like, ah, this is okay, I guess. But like in my, in my, in my mind, I said, man, it'd be really cool if I found a Nautilus shell. Like, those are hard to find. I really want one. And like right before, like, and I've been reflecting on God, you know, like reflecting on what God had done. And like right before I left, I saw this dark thing in the water. And I thought, that's either a shark that's this big or it's something that's going to kill me. I wonder what it is. And so I took my phone out and I turned the light on. And sure enough, I found an intact shell, a beautiful intact shell that I wanted. What's funny is that I'd asked God for a sign about something else. And Mary asked me, I told her about this. And she asked me, she's like, what do you think it means? I'm like, well, I don't know if it means anything. Except that God knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. And he always delivers on his timetable. He always delivers on time. And some of you are in here this morning and you're like, you know, I, I want a sign, God. I, I need a sign. I need to know that you're with me or that you're going to take care of me, that you're going to feed me. And I don't know what that sign is. But I know that God is always faithful and he'll take care of it. And he'll take care of you. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, but God will take care of you. However, this is where the story gets really, really strange. And I'm glad I only have four minutes left. These are the strangest words. We're about to get into the strangest words in the Bible. And yet these are the words that we talk about most. These are the words that mean the most. These are the words that will give you life. 
Let's skip down to verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. Like, G, like searching for Jesus satisfies those who are empty and those who are starved. If that is you this morning, I want to let you know. If you're like, man, I'm, I'm spiritually dry, then searching for Jesus will solve that for you. If you're like, ah, you know, I have questions in my mind, like searching for Jesus will solve that for you. James, I have these mental things, and like there's things that are fighting in my head. Searching for Jesus will satisfy the empty and starved. If you need hope, Jesus is saying, hey, come to me, I will help. If you're like, hey, I need help with something, Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you help. If you're saying, I feel guilty about something, there's some, something I'm ashamed of, I'm guilty of, like I haven't told my boss, I haven't told my spouse, like what do I do? Jesus says, come to me, I will help you. But then we skip down to a few, a few verses later. Look at, with me in verse 47. And we're going to go through the end of our, our passage today. Jesus says, I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So that is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If I were sitting there, I'd be like, this is probably about to get really strange, isn't it? At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So, Jesus continues, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your fathers ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Weird. Literally, the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, stepped down from his throne. He's saying, you got to eat my flesh. And you got to drink my blood. Is that not strange? Like, if Cory Carr were to come up here and say, hey guys, if you want to make it past today, you've got to, you just got to gnaw on my arm a little bit. Like, besides Dave Booze, I don't know anyone in here this morning that would actually eat on Corey's arm. Nobody. Maybe Dylan. Maybe Jeffrey. Definitely Jeffrey. But no one else would actually eat on Corey's arm because that's really weird. And yet Jesus says, that's the way you live. Now, I want to let you know, for any of you that, that are accustomed to the culture of the South, of the beaches of the South, particularly, of the coast... That this is not a teaching on transubstantiation. This is not a teaching that says that the, the bread and the wine or the, the juice and the cracker literally becomes Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood. That is not true. And that is not what Jesus is teaching here. And there's multiple scriptures that talk about that later on. And we can have a private chat via email or in my office later. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's like, that is not it. In fact, these Jews, and that's what was really strange to them. 
They're like, does Jesus really want us to be cannibals? Because in Leviticus 16, in the book of Leviticus, it's saying you should not ever become a cannibal. You should never eat or, uh, of, of someone else's lifeblood. You should never eat of their flesh. So what is Jesus saying here? This is a theological sign. They said, Jesus, give us a sign. So here it is, a theological sign to accept and trust in the death of Jesus and the life-giving power of the resurrection of him to save you, to satisfy you. Or in other words, the search for Jesus or searching for Jesus satisfies the empty and starved. Those of us that are empty, those of us that are starved, Jesus is like, hey, here's the sign. I'm the sign. I'm the bread of life. And if you come to me and trust in me, it's a theological idea. If you trust in me, not mentally, not emotionally, but with your whole being, with your hopes and your dreams and your finances and your words and your actions, if you put the totality of your trust in me, you will live forever. It's not that you have to gnaw on my arm because that's weird. It's that you have to trust in Jesus. Participation in the Lord's Supper doesn't give life. You know, what's funny is that John had written this book, obviously after Jesus had died and rose again and left. John wrote this book long after that, so meaning John had already experienced the Last Supper. He'd already experienced the Lord's Supper. And so he understood what he was talking about and writing about in John chapter 6 when he was recording this particular account. And so he doesn't even mention the Lord's Supper. He doesn't even talk about it. He's like, you know, it's, it's not about the physical thing. It's about spiritually trusting in Jesus with everything that you are. But seven chapters later, when John does write about the Lord's Supper, there's not record in it of the bread or the juice. Isn't that interesting? In multiple chapters at this last supper, this Passover supper that Jesus is, uh, eats with his, his, fi- his final meal with his friends, John doesn't record anything about juice, anything about wine, anything about bread. Why? Because trusting in Christ gives life. So so going back to verse 58 as as we close. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your fathers ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. You can do religious things and die. And go to hell. You can do religious things and think that religious things save you. Those folks, those Jews back in the desert, back long, 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 long time ago, ate the manna and yet they still died. You can do all the religious things in the world that you think will save you and they won't. Because the only thing that saves you, the only thing that guarantees you life forever in eternity, forever and ever and ever, once your eyeballs close for the last time, and once that last bit of borrowed breath escapes your lungs, the only thing that you could do that will secure your spot in eternity with life forever is trusting in Jesus. Searching for Jesus satisfies the empty and starved. My question for you is will you trust in Christ to provide for you, to satisfy you, to fill you? I want you to do it now. For these next couple minutes, we're going to go through a time of response, a time of invitation. I I don't want to take it lightly that there are people in this audience this morning that have never trusted Jesus. And you're sitting there and you're like, I've never trusted Jesus. I've never said, Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to live for you. I want you to invade my life. 
And so, so you were probably sitting there and you felt uncomfortable all morning. And I'm going to let you know that this response time is a time for you. Because we're going to be singing a song. And, and I want you to kind of pray this song. It's called Change My Heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Like this is, a, this is a time for you to respond to God and get your hearts in line with the God of the universe. The creator who came and stepped down from his throne to save you. Some of you are like, James, I just need Jesus to satisfy me in this area or in this area. And as we are singing this song, you might be like, I don't need to sing it. I need to pray and I just need to give this time to God. This is going to be a time for you to respond to God in the way that he is calling you to do so. And then after that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to read an account of the Lord's Supper. And we as a body of believers are going to take that together. Will you pray with me?